And so in preparation of the sermon, I was reading Dr. Stefanovich's commentary on the book of Revelation. I've read it before, I've read different parts. It's a really thick commentary, but I love it so much, I've pretty much read the whole thing, I think. And all the way on the last page, there's a story. And the story talks about a couple, an old missionary couple, that was returning home from New York, to New York, from Africa. They had spent many, many years living and working in Africa. And on their way back to New York, they had to take a ship. And as they got on the ship, they realized that it was the same ship that President Theodore Roosevelt was on as well. He was coming back from a hunting expedition in Africa and was going on the exact same ship that they were on. And they saw the amazing amount of people that was there accompanying him. And everybody was trying to get a glimpse of the president. So their whole voyage, everyone was just talking about the president. And the old man started getting more and more discouraged because you see, they didn't have anything to go back to. They had spent all these years in Africa, they didn't have a retirement. They weren't healthy, and they didn't know what they were going to do when they got to New York. And at one point, he turns to his wife and he says, you know, this is not fair. How come the president gets all of this attention, and we have given our whole lives in service to God, and we get nothing? Nobody even knows who we are. They get to New York, the ship unloads, and there's a band welcoming the president. Everyone is so excited about the president, nobody even notices the old couple that slips off the ship. The couple rents an apartment in New York. And as they are settling in, at one point the old man says, I can't do this anymore. He says, why is God treating us so unfairly? We come home and nobody's here to welcome us. Nobody knows about us. And the president gets this huge homecoming. And his wife says, why don't you go into the bedroom? She was a very wise woman. And she said, and tell that to God. And so he went and closed the door in the bedroom and he was there for a while. And then when he walked out, she saw a change in his face, and he didn't look so despondent anymore. He looked like he had hope again. And so she said, what happened? And he tells her, well, I did exactly what you said. I told everything to God. I told him how unfair it is that we're treated like this, and that the president gets this huge homecoming, and we get home, and nobody even knows about us. And then after I just vented all of it, I finally had nothing more to say, so I was quiet. And then it was as if I felt a hand on my shoulder. And a voice said to me, but my son, you are not home. We are not home yet.
But there is a home that Jesus has promised. And the last part of the book of Revelation talks about that home. And so I want to read with you Revelation chapter 21, where it describes this home. Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 1. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. God has been waiting for this moment where he gets to be with his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, former former things have passed away. Just last weekend, I was talking to a church member who, said, who told me that since she was 20 years old, she has been in pain. There hasn't been a single day of her life where she has not felt pain. And perhaps some of you have been there where you have had pain for a long time. But for some of us, it may not be physical pain. Maybe it's something that has happened, that has caused us pain. But this promises us that when we get home, there will be no more pain. No more death, no more deception, no more evil because Satan will be defeated. Now, I am going to cover the last beatitude, which is found in chapter 22 in the passage that Rachel read for us. And so I wanna invite you to go there. So until this point, John is describing the New Jerusalem and what he's seeing. And as this new Jerusalem comes down, he looks at it, and now he has a really difficult task. Because he has to describe something that's from heaven in human language. And how is he going to do that? How do you do that? Well, he chooses to say, well, when the new Jerusalem comes, he says that, yes, it has gates, it has walls, it has all of these different things. But the first thing, the very first thing that John mentions is that he sees the new Jerusalem have the glory of God. And this is in verse 11 in chapter 21. Her light, and now he's trying to describe what it looked like. The light was like a most precious stone. Because how do you describe something spectacular from heaven? You have to use human language, right? So he says, it looks like a precious stone. But it's not a precious stone, but it looks like a precious stone because that is the best that he could do to describe it. 
And he talks about the fact that this new Jerusalem is all about light and that God is the light that's in it. So there is no need for a sun or the moon. Because that's who God is. He is the light in our world. And now we get to verse 12 in chapter 22, which is the part that includes the last beatitude in the book of Revelation, the last blessing. And it starts with verse 12, and it says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now this phrase could be a little confusing because doesn't the Bible say that we're saved by faith? Yes, it does. So then what do these works have to do with anything? Well, God still is going to look at works because our works demonstrate where we're at with Jesus. If Jesus is truly in my life, he's just filled my heart, then it will show in the way I do things. It has to, right? It has to show. And that's why he's saying, I am going to look at the things that you have done because they demonstrate where you're at. Not that you're saved by any of them because none of us could ever do anything good enough to be saved by it. And then Jesus continues, and it's interesting in this passage, he kind of intersperses information with something about himself. And so now he says in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He says, I've always been there and I will always be there. It's my promise to you. And then verse 14 says the beatitude, blessed or happy, favored, are those who, in my Bible version, it says, who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now I say in my version, because my version is the New King James Version, the version that Rachel read is the ESV, the English Standard Version, and she read, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Now there is a debate among scholars. Well, which one is correct? Is it those who do his commandments or is it who wash their robes? And how do we know? Well, the scholars went back and tried to look through the earliest manuscripts that there are and this is where they arrived. The majority of them now agree that the earliest manuscripts say wash their robes. Now, why the change? Well, in English, those two phrases sound so different that you think nobody could ever make that same mistake. But in Greek, that's not the case. In Greek, they sound very similar. It's just a difference of some letters. So it is very possible that a scribe could have seen it and just written something else because he, he thought in his brain that that's really what it said. Or if it was dictated to him, then maybe misheard it. And those things do happen. Now, I don't want you to think that because those things happen, then somehow you have to question the authority of the Bible because that is not the case. The Bible says about itself that it is not verbally inspired. There is lots of evidence all throughout the Bible that it is thought inspiration that God gave to people and who wrote things. So it is 100% divine and 100% human. 
So there are things in there that may be a little bit different. To me, it makes sense that it would say that it washed their robes, that they washed their robes, and that's why they're in the city. Because it's a gift from God. Washing your robes in the blood of the lamb, that's what it's referring to. So we don't have to do anything for salvation. We get it as a gift. And that's why we can be home. Because it's a gift that Jesus extends to us. But now, interestingly, all the way at the end, Jesus mentions something else. And he says, I am giving you a home. But there is that reality that not everybody will be in that home. And that's what verse 15 talks about. He says, but outside, outside of the city, are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Dogs refer to impure, unholy, evil people in the Bible. Sorcerers, we know who sorcerers are, people who are in cahoots with Satan, you could say. And then sexually immoral, of course, the Bible's teaching are clearly against sexual immorality in general, but this is not just general sexual immorality. This is about the deception of Satan. And throughout the book of Revelation, and in many of the other books, you see that comparison of sexual immorality being someone who has left God. It's talking about apostasy. That's why Babylon is described as a harlot, because it's all about sexual immorality representing the fact that these people have chosen the harlot, they have chosen the false god. And then to me, the last phrase really is what describes it all, just kind of puts it all together, because it says that these are the people who love and practice a lie. Now the word for love is the word phileo, and I'm guessing that you have heard before that there are two different, two main words in Greek that are used for love. And there is the word phileo, that is a lot of times translated as brotherly love, as friendship, and there's the word agape, which is kind of like this devoted kind of love. But just so that you don't think that it's just a friendship kind of love, it's also used of God, as in he phileos, I'm just gonna Americanize it, um, he phileos Jesus, he also phileos us, okay, so it's used of God as well. But it is, this, what this is saying is that these people are friends with deception because the lie is the lies of Satan. Because that's really what the book of Revelation is trying to expose, the lies and deception of Satan that he's going to bring on us, that he's been doing always, and that he will even magnify at the end. And so these people are friends with deception. Now I think we all know that our friends rub off on us, don't they? That's why there are so many sayings that say, choose your friends wisely. Pastor Lerone and I have become really good friends since I've been here for the last three years. 
And there have been times when we walked into church and we're dressed exactly the same. <laughs> I have a white top on and a blue skirt and she has a white top on and a blue skirt. Or I had a black top on and a red skirt and she has the exact same thing. And we didn't plan it, it just happened. Because we're friends and we rub off on each other. And that's really what it's saying here. It's saying, if you are friends with something like deception, it will rub off on you, it will become part of you, and you will practice it, you will live it. And that's what it's saying these people are doing. They have fallen for the deception of Satan, they have chosen it, and now they love it. And it's part of them. And then Jesus keeps going in verse 16, and he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. So he's telling John, these messages need to go to the churches. And then he says something beautiful. I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the creator and I'm also the one who was born as a baby. That's why you have salvation. And then he says, my favorite phrase in this says, the bright and morning star. I am the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star, the morning star comes out right as night is about to be over. And I love this picture of Jesus because he's pointing to the light. He's saying, yes, Satan is trying to bring darkness into your life, but I bring light and I banish the darkness because the morning star comes when the night is over. And then he said, and then the phrase says, where John is writing, it says, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, come. They're extending an invitation saying, come, come to Jesus. Come to this bright and morning star. Come and be part of this home. And let him who hears say, come. As in everybody who hears, we shouldn't just keep it to ourselves. We need to extend it to others and tell them there is a free gift from God. Salvation is for you too. This home is for you too. And these last two phrases that say, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, whoever wants it, let him take the water of life freely. I love how Mark Willie brought the water bottle and was talking about the water and how we need water. Michael and I go mountain biking, usually about every Sunday. Sometimes we can't, obviously, because of things that happen, but a lot of times it's every Sunday. Two weeks ago, we went, and it was one of those really hot days. I don't know if you remember, it was still 90s, even though it's supposed to be fall. And I forgot my water bottle in the truck. I took it with me, I filled it up, but I left it in the truck. And so as we're riding the trails, about halfway, I'm dying because I need water. And Michael is an amazing guy because he just says, all right, let's just go back. And we pick up the water bottle and then keep going. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. I want you 
Do you want me so bad that you feel like you're gonna die without me? That's what this thirst is supposed to be like. That we always are thirsty for Jesus. And he says, I give you this water of life and I give it to you freely. All you need to do is just take it. I see this beautiful gift all throughout this passage from God. But there is also something that I notice that I think is really important. And that is that there are two characteristics that are mentioned for those who will be in the city of God, who will be in the New Jerusalem. And the first one is the people who will be in the city are not friends with deception. And number two, the people who will be there are thirsty for Jesus. Now how do you recognize deception? How can you tell the difference? Deception is really sinister because it's so close to the truth that it looks like the truth. It may even feel like the truth, but yet it's not the truth. So how do you tell the difference? Well, you have to know what the truth is really well, right? That is the only way you have to know it. And to me, what this passage is saying is not only do we have to know the truth, we have to know the truth giver. I have to know the morning star in order to be able to tell the difference between what is deception and what is not. There's a video on YouTube that I love and every time I watch it I tear up. It has no words, just action. And all you see in the video is these ladies just come in and line up. And then a little girl comes on the scene and they blindfold her. And you automatically get, get the gist that, oh, she's gonna be looking for her mom. And, sur and sure enough, she goes and she, her mom is all the way at the end of the line and she goes and she's just touching the first lady, she touches her hands and he makes her, makes her come down and touches her face and her hair and smells her and keeps walking down the line until she gets to her mom and she recognizes her and she just like jumps on her and embraces her, just falls on her. And then there is a little boy who comes out and they also blindfold him. And he's looking for his mom. His mom is somewhere in the middle. And so he goes and he's just touching the ladies and smelling them. And as he gets to his mom, he does the exact same thing. He just like falls right into her arms. And every single kid does the exact same thing. Every single kid knows exactly which one is their mom. And what I love the most about this video is that those kids don't even need to take off their blindfolds. They don't have to take it off to make sure, okay, yeah, is this actually my mom? They know. And with their blindfolds on, they are jumping into their mom's arms. because they know that that's their mom. 
they have a relationship with their mom and they know everything about her. So let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus like that? When I asked that question, I realized, man, can I answer that with a yes? I really want to answer it with a yes. I know that that is my desire, to know him like that. But you know what I find amazing? Is that he says, whoever desires, whoever thirsts for me, that's whom I give the water of life. He is the bright and morning star that banishes the darkness in our lives, who gives us hope and a future, an eternal life. 